In today's show, we're going to cover insurance, what you need and what you don't. It's Brian Preston, the money guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Bo, we, we've been talking about this topic for at least a week and a half now. For sure. And yep. Little did we know, I mean, the world has so much going on. It. I mean, we have weather stuff going on between hurricanes, yep. earthquakes, fires that are that a lot of the country taken over, and then we've had these other just tragedies, national sure. tragedies where you've had shooters and other things. And we have this topic where we want to talk to you. There's so many things that you can be scared, fearful, and worried about. So much risk. Out there, there. there is. There's risk out there. But but the reality of things, and I want our, our, our viewers and listeners to know this, is you can control most of it, what happens. Right. So the biggest thing we want to do today was give you the tools to know what can you actually impact in your life, control, and essentially buy insurance that will protect and take that risk or minimize that risk, and then what you can avoid, what's noise, because there's so much noise out there in the world that if you let yourself, you get overwhelmed, you'll stress yourself out. So on today's show, we really want to go deep on understanding how you protect your family. Yeah, and what I what I get really excited about, Brian, is this is one of those things, I think because we do this for a living, you know, we help clients, we counsel them on these sorts of things. We kind of take for granted that it just kind of seems like we know these terms, we know these types of insurance. But I find myself when I'm talking to neighbors or friends and family, it's not common knowledge, the types of insurance. I mean, most people kind of understand, okay, life insurance, I know what that is. But what's disability insurance and umbrella insurance and some of these other things? And so I'm excited today that we kind of get to peel back the layers and really look at the full circle of how you can kind of protect yourself. And, and just so, if you're, if you're going out there and checking us out on YouTube, you see we got a lot of real estate to cover. I mean, I've got like four pages of notes here. So we're going to hit this thing really quick and fast. And you have a job today, Bo. I want to put you in charge of, I'm good because we wrote this very much in outline format. Sure. I'm good at going over and doing an inter- uh, an overview of things, but sometimes I take those tangents. So my goal for you today also is to make sure that we don't leave an insurance coverage and protection discussion without giving people that money guy difference of sure. ways to save money as well as the key parts of what you need to make sure you do if you're going to get the meat of the protection yep. built into it. So that that's kind of your your task to to keep the navigation of this show going. Now, before we jump into the meat of the show, I do want to give some, some money guy intro items. The first is we are right in the middle of the $1,000 YouTube money guy giveaway. So everybody who's listening, there is not going to be a better chance for you to win a thousand dollars than to go to youtube.com slash money guy show and then subscribe. Because remember what our goal is mid November, we're going to Pull a name out of our subscribers on YouTube, and they're going to get a thousand dollars. That's right. And how many things out there right now? We are so close to a thousand um, subscribers. We started this thing in the three hundreds. You know, two weeks. Fast forward two weeks later, we're close to a thousand. Yep. Love to push those numbers up more. But here's the thing: when you're on the list, how many drawings are your odds like one in a thousand? Yeah. So. You're crazy if you don't Power take Powerball does not. I have mean, those we odds. don't part with money easily. So please go out there, do yourself a favor, go to youtube.com 
slash money guy show. Get in on that because those are incredible odds. Um, also, while we're on the, the YouTube stuff, next episode we do, you've got to tune in. I know you listen to us. You're a podcast listener. You've been, we, there's, there's thousands of you out there listening because you're exercising, you're driving to work, but you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't check out the next episode on the YouTube channel because what are we getting close to? Halloween. That's right. So there's, you can imagine having a visual aspect to the show now. There's going to be something pretty cool. And we've put some resources in this. We've already gotten some laughs around the office. You have to go check out the YouTube channel um, for the next episode just so you can see how completely ridiculous we are as a firm. The other thing is I want you to go to moneyguy.com. Make sure you sign up to join the Smart Money Club where you can get updates. All we need is an email. There's no cost to get into our archives and everything else, but you do have to join the Smart Money Club by giving us your email address and your zip code. And the reason we want your zip code is because we want to know where you guys are throughout the country because we've already had some meetups just when we've gone for business and conferences. It'd be, you know, we've started realizing we got to start tracking this stuff because we like to connect with it with our subscribers and our viewers and listeners where you guys live. So hopefully we can have some more personal connection moments. And then, um, of course, we do this at the beginning. We do this at the end. This is a passion project. We started this over 10 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, back in 2006, um, just trying to get good free advice out there. And we've realized the more free advice we give you guys, the more success you have with your personal finances, the more clients we pick up. So if you've been listening to this, you've been listening for a few months, a few years, you've garnered a lot of information to the point that you've graduated your assets that you need a professional to help you out, take it to the next level with us. We have clients in, you know, over majority of the country now right. love to, to, to you know connect with you. Go to our website also if you go to moneyguy.com or boundwealth.com. We do have a map of where we have we clients. Yep. Go check it out. Um, we're always looking to extend that that map. to. Our, I can't wait for the day that we have 50 states oh, yeah. covered. So a lot of good stuff there to cover. Moneyguy.com, aboundwealth.com, and we have contact pages on both. Love to take the relationship to the next level. So let's get into this thing. When you start taking financial planning, if this is where you decide decide your calling is in Mm -hmm. life, one of the first things that they pull up when you're taking financial planning 101 is is the financial planning pyramid. And the financial planning pyramid, if you guys aren't, aren't, aren't aware, the bottom, the baseline, which everything else is built upon, is the protect level. And protect can mean many things. It means that if you have children, that you've got wills. You know, you guys know every time we talk to a brand new prospect or a listener, we ask you, if you got kids, do you have wills? Right. But then we move past that and we start talking about insurance. We start talking about life insurance, property and casualty, disability, now, homeowners. Should, should we pause for one moment really quick, Brian? Because the first thing that we're even bringing up is insurance. And everyone out there listening knows that we're financial advisors for they're a like, living. Oh, so no. Here's where here the sales, comes the sales job. Pitch, right? So should we maybe put a disclosure on there for everyone listening. Yeah, here's the here's the cool thing about what we do. Remember what makes us really different in the marketplace. We're what's called fee-only advisors, meaning that the only compensation we get from our clients is directly from the clients. There's no commissions, there's no kickbacks or anything like that. So full disclosure, we don't sell insurance. Now, both of us have a background sure. at working at firms 
where we did insurance. I mean, Bo, you sold life insurance yep. in the past. I was a support advisor for an individual who sold a, a lot of life insurance. So I do have a background. You have a background working for companies where we did life insurance, but we have no connection to that whatsoever. So there's no commissions. There's no sales motivation. We just want to make sure your family's protected. That's right. So we're going to kind of go a deep dive here into some of these, these different levels of protection. And here's what's crazy. Insurance has gotten so deep now, you can insure anything. I mean, we had, as we were doing show prep, uh, I mean, we had discussions, pet insurance. Right, I yeah. mean, you can, I mean, you can buy cancer insurance. Yep. I mean, there's all kind of insurances. You could probably have buy insurance. I'm sure there's some underwriter out there. It's kind of like playing Keno where you could say on Tuesday, I'll buy insurance so I don't get struck by lightning on Tuesdays. I mean, uh, it is getting that. that crazy. We want to make sure you're buying what you actually need for your family and not getting sold a product. So I think that's a great insert that you put that in there, Bo. We do not sell insurance so there's not a commission check that's that's kind of you know creating a conflict sure. of of where we're going with this so and and I'll tell you this one of the biggest sales tactics that insurance agents can use is fear. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. fear is a powerful motivator in, in many different levels. We're going to hopefully give you the, the, the ground level information you need to make the decision. Yep. Now we're going to have to hit this quick because we have a lot of different types of insurance to cover. So the first one, I want to hit the big one first, mm -hmm. which is life insurance. Sure. And that pyramid, that's the biggest base, right? Yeah. Well, life insurance is because what does life insurance protect? There, there's multiple purposes for life insurance. The biggest one that probably hits the biggest portion of the population is to replace income. Mm -hmm. Because you're worried when you're a younger person, maybe you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, even 50s, where you still have children living in your house, you still have a spouse that's got a mortgage. You got all these things that are requiring that you have money coming in to pay the bills, to pay the obligations. So the biggest thing that life insurance can do is it can replace income. Now, when you go further up the financial planning needs list for, for insurance, it can get into estate planning. And I'm going to talk about that in a, in a split second. And it can go into to, to that level sure. uh, of, of coverage as well. But the biggest thing that it does is it replaces income. To, to cover the, the living expenses, pay off those outstanding debts like your mortgages, and then fund those life goals, whether it's college for your, for your children, whether it's, um, just making sure that your, your, your spouse has resources for an extended period of time when you're gone. That's what life insurance, and that's what we really want to talk about today. So is this, is this a, an accurate statement for most people, for the general population? Now, obviously there are some uniques, but, in order for you to be someone who needs life insurance, you need to be someone who has other people depending on your ability to generate income. Y yes, there's one caveat though. Okay. And this is a big one we talk about because we see it all the time when people come and talk to us. You'll have a, a, a couple and one will be the primary breadwinner oh, yeah. and the other yeah. one raises, is, is taking care of the house. They're kind of the household CEO. Sure. It's, it's, it's a common misconception that you need to have Tons of insurance on the income winner and then the support, you know, the, the household CEO, no need to have insurance on them because income. they don't generate income. However, and this is something that I, I, a key point I want everybody to understand. I, myself, my, my wife stays at home to help out with, cause we have a lot of stuff going on with, my, you know, sure. I have an autistic daughter. I have a middle schooler. So there's a lot of life things that are going on. If something should happen to my wife, I would be devastated. And yes, I am the primary breadwinner, but you got to imagine if something happened to her, 
probably not going to be the most productive sure. creator of income for a, a good period of time, yep. maybe six months. Yep. You know, who, who knows how long this is going to impact me? So I think that you should buy some type of insurance, even on that support person who's not generating income for the household, because more than likely you have to go hire somebody to provide those services that are no longer being provided sure. by the, 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 unfortunately, the losing of a, of a loved one. But also you might need to replace your own income for an extended period of time while you're going through the grieving and recovery process. So don't look past just what everybody in the household's doing. Right. Now let's, let's talk, talking about that spouse though that is generating income. How do you come up with a good baseline of how much insurance you sure. should buy? Um, a good rule of thumb, and you hear this, and it's a very simplified way of doing it, is just take your income, multiply it by 10, and that can give you a good baseline understanding of how much insurance you need. Now, um, you probably, if you want to go a little deeper into just using that 10-time multiplier, you might want to add, if you have a $150,000 mortgage, a $200,000 mortgage, maybe add that on top of the 10 times. And then if you have some college planning goals, you can add that as well. But you're going to quickly see that number can elevate into seven-figure land very sure. easily. You know, if you have a mortgage and you're in your 40s and you're still working, you might need to buy a million dollars. You might need to buy a million and a half dollars of insurance. So then the question comes, is that term? Right. Is that is that is that whole life? Is that some variable product? That's where. And what's the Brian? Real quick, what's the difference in term and whole life insurance? Well, they, they, here's the thing: you have permanent insurance and you have term insurance. When we use the word word permanent insurance, it's because there's a component of there's two components of it. Whereas there's the insurance that's replacing that's the the protection. You're buying insurance in case you pass away that shows up, but then. You know, it, but it, that's term, but it permanent has that component, but they also have a cash value, which is means, and the way this is supposed to work, the way this is taught is, is that while you're young, insurance cost is dirt cheap. But as you get older, insurance cost goes up significantly sure. because obviously mortality is much more likely to occur for an old, older person than a younger person. So if you'll build up cash value, that will help offset that premium increase that's going to occur over time. It will level out what's going on because you'll have the cost of insurance and then you'll have the cash value working in the background. The problem with that is, is that hopefully your need for insurance is going to go away because you're building financial independence in the background. So our need for life insurance decreases as we build our assets. Exactly. So when you're 30 years old and you have a good income, but you don't have a lot of assets working for you, that army of dollar bills hadn't built up yet, you probably need a lot of life insurance. If we just take, take somebody who makes $200,000, okay. you know, multiply it by, well, even let's just back it down to something even simpler, $100,000. Okay. Multiply that by 10, that's a million dollars worth of life insurance. Okay. You can buy a million dollars worth of life insurance when you're 30 years old. For I mean, it, it doesn't cost much at all. Four hundred bucks a year. Yeah, I mean, maybe? it's it's pretty cheap. And it, whereas you, if you look at somebody who's buy, selling you permanent insurance, uh, I mean, they could be charging you a premium of three thousand, four thousand sure. dollars a year. And what they'll tell you is, is yes, it's more expensive now. But when you get to be you're sixty years old, you you look, think of you know we're not you're not going to have any increases. What I'm telling you, though, is at 60 years old, I'm hoping you don't even need insurance. You're self-insured at that So point. that's why I do like term insurance to replace income because you're hoping that here – and here's how you can figure out how long of a term you ought to buy. I always tell people, when will that last child be out of the house, mm -hmm. have all their education goals funded – 
And when will you, when do you perceive that you'll be financially independent? For a lot of people, that's 60, you know, 65 years old. So buy the life insurance that the term is guaranteed, the premium is guaranteed for that extended period of time. And for a lot of people, that's 20 years or 25 years, you know, something like that. But 20 years is probably easy if you've got some kids who are two or three years old. Go look at a 20 year term policy. Um, all right. So I'm sold. I need insurance. Where do I go? How do I pick that up at Publix? Is that how do I go get some insurance? Here's the thing, and I think what you're getting at, Bo, is do you buy from a person or do you buy from a website? And I would tell you, go do your research on a website. There's all kind of websites on the internet if you go do a search for life insurance rates. But I would recommend once you figure out, you know, what it's going to cost. I like people buying from a person because here's what's not known. I know the internet makes things so much cheaper and more efficient. We all know, I mean, I'm buying my toilet paper now from Amazon, just like everybody else is. But the problem is, is that state insurance commissioners typically regulate what insurance companies can charge in your state. So there's no difference between an individual selling you the insurance versus a computer or a website, I should say. So in that case, you might want a person because guess what happens? Something happens to you. It's nice to have somebody who's accountable to go to. Now, you can find um, there's hybrids where you'll have an, you know, agencies that have, you know, I'll, I'll mention one that's here local, Xander Insurance, okay, yeah. you know, has a big company that you can go use their tools, but then they'll have people that can help you if you needed to actually speak to somebody. Sure. So, you, But just know that the insurance commissioners regulate premiums, so it might benefit you to buy from an individual. Um, the other thing I wanted to, to make sure I talked about, people will say, well, wh- who? why would you want permanent insurance? Okay, I hear yeah. about whole life Estate purposes, and I have recommended this to clients. I had a, cl- a prospect, uh, you know, who worked with me for a number of years, became a client who had eight-figure wealth in real estate. Okay, I mean, came to me, did not have a lot of liquidity, but had eight-figure port, you know, portfolio of houses in some beautiful places of the country. Not a lot of liquidity, but he had a huge estate issue. Now, mm-hmm. the good news is estate issues have gone; they're not as big as they used to be. It used to be if you had six hundred seventy-five thousand or a million dollars estate, you needed to go buy insurance to cover the estate taxes. And it's pretty easy to hit that. Somebody yeah. with a with a paid-for house and a four hundred one k, you get pretty close to that number. Now the the number is five million four hundred ninety thousand dollars, and and it's portable, meaning that if a spouse doesn't use all of their five million dollar exemption from estate taxes. They can take it with them and add it to their $5 million. So you can quickly see that a couple with, you'd have to have an $11 million estate to really need the estate planning side of life insurance. It's made things much, much easier. So I think permanent insurance is not as useful for estate purposes unless you have a unique situation like that client that I had a number of years ago, eight-figure um, a, a portfolio of r- illiquid real estate, if he'd passed away with that, he would be in a heck of a, a, sure. a, a bad situation. So permanent insurance was a perfect solution to immediately fix that while he was trying to figure out how he could either get more liquidity in his portfolio or, or figure out some planning sure. opportunities uh, outside of that. So before we go on to the next one, I just want to do a quick, quick little rundown summary. If you're someone who has uh, someone depending on either what you do for the household or what you bring in an income, you probably need to have life insurance. When you're young, you likely need more life insurance than later in life, assuming you're building your assets. And a nice rule of thumb is you want to have about 10 times your annual income in right. insurance. For most people, 
Term insurance is the best way to get the bang for the buck, to get as much insurance possible at the lowest cost possible. Yeah, there's no investment component with term insurance. It's all just insurance. That's a, and so you're getting what you're paying for. There's no, no component out there. When it comes time to buy, do your research, do your shopping online, and then try to find a warm-blooded person to help you with the process. Yeah, just so you have some accountability if you ever need that money needs to be actually, you know, somebody has to go figure out how to, to process the life insurance benefits. Perfect. Life insurance check. Disability insurance. I want to give some scary statistics. Now, I realize I pulled these um, stats from an insurance company, so they want you to buy insurance, but it's still, the, these. The, I, I believe, these numbers. Um, a 35-year-old has a 50% chance of becoming disabled for 90-day period or longer before the age of 65. That's kind of scary. Oh, no, so, okay, I want to, I'm going to read that. In a, I want to read that back to you in a different way to make sure I get this. One in two 35-year-olds will be disabled for three months between or longer between now and the time they get to retirement. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of an alarming thing to think about because uh, yeah. So that's that's that hits home. Here's another one: one in seven people between 35 to 65 can expect to become disabled for five years or longer. Now, remember the last stat was 90 days, right, or longer. This is five years or longer. So this is an extended disability. Sure, sure. that number is one in seven. That's still. I mean, I like it when my numbers are one in 2,000. Yeah, yeah. You know, because then you, you're turning them into very minuscule yeah. percentages. But one in seven is a pretty good number. And then I thought this one was interesting, too. 46% of all foreclosures on conventional mortgages are caused by disability. So, so almost half. Yeah, and you hear that. You know, a lot of medical expenses derail people and do they lose everything. So this is definitely, you know, and I know it's marketed in a way that you're more likely to be disabled then you are to die. Now, I think that, I think when you hear that, I'm like, well, wait a minute, we're all dying. We're all, we're I mean, all, we're all on that path towards <laughs> death. But I think it just means that probably prematurely, sure. you're much more likely to become disabled while you're in your earning working years than you are to, to die. And anyway. would you agree in terms of personal insurance? You know, what we do when we work with clients and we see folks come to us, this is the one we see the most often neglected. People yeah. just don't think about it and don't, don't really try to make sure they're covered there. So let's talk about, since we've realized that there's probably a need that you ought to look at for your family, how much coverage should you have? And what is it? What does disability insurance do? Yeah. What, what disability does is, is if you become, you know, and it doesn't have to be a long-term disability. It could just mean that you've become injured um, and you need to replace income for a period of time to, to to replace your income that you were earning. And here's the cool thing about disability insurance is that there's some tax benefits out there. The government has created the system to where they, they recognize there's a need, so they've made some tax-favored rules that you need to make sure you're aware of. So right. let's kind of jump in this. But what are your thoughts on how much disability insurance you should buy? Well, a really good rule of thumb that we like to talk about is you want to try to replace somewhere around 60% mm-hmm. of your normal income. Because what happens if you're disabled, you're probably not going to the movies as much. You're probably not going out to dinner as much. Your expenses and lifestyle probably come down a little bit. And based on the tax situation we're going to talk about in a second, 60% of your current income without having to pay taxes may be pretty close to what you're spending now anyways. So you probably, you just heard Bo give, give away the next clue, which is how do you wipe away your tax obligation? And here's the cool thing that's set up by, our, by the government and the tax codes is that if you pay your disability premiums, you know, the premiums to get the insurance with what's called after-tax money, meaning that you're not getting a tax deduction as you do it. So that's why I always tell people when you get offered disability insurance through your employer, make sure that it is after-tax money that you're not taking a tax deduction 
when you pay your premium. I feel that was a, I feel like that was something important. It that is bears, big. The bears repeating. If you are someone who pays for your disability insurance through your employer, you have it withheld from your paycheck. Make sure you ask the question: Hey, is this? Am I paying with this pre-tax dollars or post-tax dollars? Because the answer to that question matters. Yeah, because if it's post-tax dollars, meaning you're not getting a tax deduction when you make the premium, you know, payment. It means if you ever have a, a, a qualifying event where you need you get to take the benefit, it's all completely tax free. That's right, completely tax free. So if you're getting paid five thousand dollars a month from your disability insurance company, it would be completely tax free. And that's what Bo was saying. So that could be sixty thousand dollars a year, sure. which could easily, if you take into account taxes and other things, could potentially take cover $100,000 worth of income. Sure. So that's why the 60% is because there's a huge, tremendous tax benefit if you ever have that that issue. And disability insurance is not so expensive that you're, you – look, we all want tax deductions as much as possible, but this is one where I'm going to tell you to forego the tax deduction so you can get that potential tax-free benefit when you need it the most when, when, if you had a disability. Sure. Um, but one of the things – that we, we hear people ask all the time is you can buy just a general disability, but then there's also own OC. What, yeah. is, what does that mean? Yeah, so there are two, two different definitions when it comes to disability insurance. There's own occupation, which means you're insuring against you being able to do the job that you're trained to do. And then there's any occupation disability, meaning that you just can't work at all. And I remember when I was in school, one of the examples that they always gave us is there was a group of attorneys in California that there was some sort of uh, injury that happened and they weren't able to practice law. Well, their disability claim got denied because they told them, oh, well, you could go be a teacher or you right. could go get a job doing this. Well, they were making hundreds of thousands of dollars being attorneys and they were told, oh, you can go make 50000 you can still work, so we're going to deny the disability claim. Right. So if you're someone who, uh, well, really anyone, but specifically if you're someone that's a higher-earning individual in a specialized industry, which means what you do is very unique, you want to make sure that you have own-oc definition on your disability insurance. And that's not to say you, you couldn't have a combination sure. where you get some, some – because own-oc, as you can imagine, is more expensive. Mm -hmm. So you probably want to have some baseline protection through that with that type of language in the policy. And then you maybe want to add a little bit more in case you have a total disability where you couldn't do any job. Sure. So you could have a combination of multiple disability policies on that. Um, elimination period and benefit period. Here's I thought this was an interesting statistic because this will also help give some guidance on this is average group long-term disability claims last 34.6 months, so a little less than three years, and then the average individual disability claim lasts 31.6 months. So if you're trying to figure out, because what I mean by elimination period is how fast can you apply for benefits? Okay. You know, on disability policies, it's not uncommon to see 60 days, 90 days, but you can go even further, 120. You can, I mean, you can go out with, with disability. That's what, so I would ask you, cause realize the, the bigger your elimination period, obviously the lower the premium. So think about your cash reserves. Think about how fluid you are, you know, liquid you are with your money. And that can help you determine what elimination period you need. And then benefit period, you know, that's what, why I gave you those stats is three, you're probably going to want at a minimum three to five years sure. worth of, um, protection. Um, for just to stay within those averages. Obviously, the longer you go with your benefit period, the higher the premiums are going to be. Perfect. And, and Brian, you know, I know that, uh, does it make sense? Because I know I can, if I work for an employer who offers disability insurance, I can buy disability insurance to the employer. But are there ever circumstances where I should have this insurance 
outside of my employer or should I go look elsewhere when it comes to shopping for disability insurance? Well, of course, if your employer offers you and, and, and provides disability insurance, which a lot of employers do, take advantage of that. But you, you probably, it's more individualized and we can't give completely individualized, sure. obviously, on this show, but we can say, Go look at your your needs might be bigger than what the group plan could offer you. So that's where you want to subsidize it by getting your own plans. And then also there's the portability factor. You know, you, unfortunately, in today's society, we change jobs much more frequently than we we once did. And so you might not be able to take that group plan. Now, you can. In a lot of cases, they are portable. But just make sure you understand the portability factor. And that's why sometimes, especially if you're healthier, if you're one, if you're a healthy individual versus the group of, you look at all your coworkers and you go, man, we got a lot of people here that I think I'm healthier. It's okay to buy individual policies. And I, I should have extended that to the life insurance too, because you'll get offered group life insurance mm-hmm. versus individual. If you're a healthy person, Buy an individual policy. If you're an unhealthy person with unhealthy habits, buy the group, group policy so you can get some subsidy by your your coworkers who sure. don't realize that they should be buying individual plans. And this is my last question on disability. I know I know we got to run. No, we got to get through this. Um, does everybody need disability insurance? I mean, we said with life insurance, there's a lot. You know, if you're someone who has an insurable need and you're someone's depending on you, or there's a role you play in the household. Uh, does everyone need disability insurance? I think it goes exactly back to the life insurance. There will come a point in your life where you don't need disability, but it all is based upon who's counting on your income. If you have, if you haven't fulfilled all of your financial obligations by building financial independence and retirement, that army of dollar bills and built up, I think you need disability coverage. If right. you, if you are gainfully employed and working, and that's what's paying the bills, you, you need it. Now, if you have outside sources and nobody's counting on you to earn the money because maybe you have you know, passive income sure. and other things coming in, it can quickly replace that. Okay, perfect. Um, property and casualty insurance. The, when I say property and casualty, that's a fancy way of saying insuring your home, your cars, your boats, your motorcycles. That's it's right. all the toys. You know, how do you, t- Covering the house, the toys, and all the other things. You don't hear a lot of people talk about property and casualty, and so there's a lot of people. I think there's a lot of hunger for information. Sure. So we're going to quickly try to go through this. The first one: What's the biggest asset most people have? Uh, usually, it's their home, right? Yeah, what you live in. So it makes sense quickly understanding when you because I think a lot of us take for granted when we go get homeowners insurance. We're like, yeah, my home's insured. I, what, 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 is there anything you need to know about that? And here's I call what, Jake from State Farm. Yeah, like, you good. just call somebody and they they give you a quote and you're like, okay, the mortgage company seems to be okay. I, I'm all right, but you know, and then you you hear about all these things going on with the fires, with all the flooding and yeah. all this stuff, and you're like, well, am I covered? I mean, how, I mean, how good of a shape are you really in? Because this is not one of those coverages you want to wait until something bad happens to go and critique. The, yeah. the details of your policy. So let's let's kind of talk about this stuff. The first big one is understanding what do you actually get from your insurance? Meaning if something bad happens, if you had a fire or something that that takes your house out, what do you, what, you know, how are you going to be reimbursed right. or paid yeah. back on that? And, and here's some language you need to understand. There's actual cash value. That's, you know, meaning that they have a stated policy value of what you're protect you're covered for, mm-hmm. and you'll get you know that's what that's the maximum that they will provide, and they're gonna still want documentation showing, hey, yeah, I had to spend this to replace sure, the house, yeah. but you have a limit if you do actual cash value. The limit is stated in your policy. 
Next, you have what's called replacement cost value. Somebody will make an analysis on the fair market value of replacement, and that's the, the limit of what you'll be paid. And then, of course, you have guaranteed or what's called extended replacement costs. This is in the range of where you want to be, um, and, and let me explain why. And more than likely, you're going to get extended, not full guaranteed replacement. Whenever you see the word guaranteed, you know it means expensive <laughs> because that means no matter what it costs to replace your house, the insurance companies go pay. They don't give that away. Sure. So you might very well might want to end up with like an extended replacement value where it's, it's typical they give you a 20% to 25% above and beyond what the expert thinks it's going to cost sure. to replace your house. Now, why would you want to go above what it, the expert while nothing bad is going on, things that would cost to replace your house, is because two things will happen. Unfortunately, bad things don't happen to just one person. It's not uncommon that bad, we have weather things, whether it's the hurricane or a fire takes out, you know, multiple homes. Sure. So all of a sudden you have a scarcity of resources. Everybody's trying to rebuild at the same time. Well, you know what happens with supply and demand when everybody needs the same skilled workers and the same, you know, concrete bricks and wood. What happens to those costs? They go up. They'll go up. Yeah. So it's, it's nice if you have a cushion to where taking into account the, the, the scarcity. Second thing, your house burns down or you, you have some damage and it's time to replace it. And say you have, um, I, I grew up in this house. We had this Harvest Gold appliances. You don't even know what that means, but couldn't even guess. But, and my mom has replaced it now. But I, I'm just thinking about if you had an older house and you still had Harvest Gold, <laughs> which is a color you could Google, and that's throughout the kitchen. You're probably going when it comes to replacing. You can go. I want to. I want to put granite in. Might this be time, time to step I, away. I'm going to put granite. I'm going to put stainless steel appliances. You know, and those things are going to cost more sure. than what you originally had. So it's nice if you have twenty to twenty-five percent built into it. Okay. Um, so since I feel bad since I'm helping you spend your money, let's talk about a way that you can save some money on your homeowner's insurance. One of the first things you need to realize when you're looking at the replacement value is land doesn't get damaged. It doesn't go away. Okay. Meaning that so if you if you know you paid three hundred thousand dollars for your house. And does that mean you need to go buy $300,000 of insurance coverage? Well, that makes sense, Brian. That's what I paid for the house. Exactly. But the truth of the matter is, is probably $50,000 of your $300,000 purchase price is the land that your house sits upon. All right. Well, the house, you know, the land doesn't go bad. You know, you take a backhoe out there and you scrape off, voila, you got a brand new lot again. <laughs> so you could, you, you only need protection of 250000 okay. And maybe you want to add 20% to that number for, you know, to, in case you had a scarce situation or, or, or all the things I talked about previously. So don't include the value of your land. So go and give a hard look of what the insurance is and then understand what the language of replacement value is on your, on your property. Um, moving on to, a, a, I mean, I guess we'll talk about premiums in a second, but sure. an insurance we, we see all the time that it's not even successful, super wealthy people don't have. Is what's called umbrella oh, coverage. Oh yeah, that's a good. But one. explain what what that is. Yeah, so what umbrella coverage is? It's exactly what it sounds like. It's insurance coverage that sort of as an umbrella covers all of your other policies. So your home, your auto, your boat, your personal liability. It really is the insurance that sits on top to make sure you're protected. Uh, so often we see folks who don't know about this, so they don't have it, and what you don't realize is while you think you may be covered, you may not be as covered as you'd like to be to protect uh, both your current assets as well as your future earning potential. 
Yeah, and, and what is umbrella? I always like it because it gives the visual. It sits on top of That's your right. yeah. homeowners. It sits on top of your auto coverage. And I'll give you a first world experience. We had a client. This is years ago. He's graduated college. It, it's crazy how time moves. But when he was in elementary school, there was a situation where the child of one of our clients had a bad judgment moment through a rock at a school bus. Because that just makes all the sense in the world. And it's a good kid, too. That's what's crazy. You hear this, you're like, wow, that's, that's really bad behavior. <laughs> well, the rock, unfortunately, hit another child, um, caused a cut on the child. The child had to go, and everything turned out okay, but the child had a pretty big medical sure. bill from, you know, corrective measures and all this other stuff. You know what covered the, that um, all the expenses of medical as well as the liability and everything else from the lawsuit that occurred mm-hmm. from that event? Was the umbrella insurance. And so I think that's really, that's an interesting point that I think we should dive in. So not, not only does umbrella insurance cover you, it covers member of your, members of your household. So if you have young kids in the household that decide they want to throw rocks at a school bus, <laughs> it covers. But this is what a lot of folks don't realize. And we try to really encourage our clients to think through this. If you have children, I don't know, around the age of 18, 19, 20, that maybe are still in the house, but they're off at college, and they make less than ideal decisions, umbrella insurance will also protect you should there be some sort of liability claim while they're off at school. So we like it. And you're asking, well, how much umbrella insurance do I need? I typically tell people to get, you know, as much umbrella as your, what your, your estimated net worth sure. is. And, you know, a lot of you are like, wait a minute, a million dollars, that's got to cost a fortune. No, you're going to be shocked. That you can buy a million dollars of umbrella insurance, probably less than three hundred dollars. Yeah, you can buy a year. Yeah, three hundred dollars. So, I mean, and a lot of you are gonna be like, why do you say three? And I'm telling you, it depends on where you live, sure. who your insurance comes. Some of you are gonna be able to get it for like one hundred twenty-five dollars, but then others. But and I don't want you to go beat your agent up because it's over one hundred twenty-five dollars. I'm just saying there could be a broad range of what this umbrella insurance is going to cost. Now, depending on the insurance company, one thing you have to make sure of is sometimes in order for an insurance company to be willing to provide umbrella insurance, they want to make sure you have a base level of coverage elsewhere, meaning you can't go buy umbrella insurance and carry liability only on your automobile. They're probably not going to allow you to do or that. Or the lowest level. You can't have $50,000 of liability protection right. and then go buy a million-dollar umbrella. They're probably going to make you push those limits up to 500000 Exactly. And, and make sure you have some baseline protection there. Um, I wanted to, before, before I got into, you know, the automobiles, I want to talk about just things that you own. Um, the, the goods, because that's part of your homeowner's policy. Here's the easiest way. And I know this sounds so hokey, but it really does work is we all have phones that have cameras and video cameras built in. You don't have to go and buy the big camcorder anymore. Right, right. Just go home. And then just walk through your house while you're videotaping and you can create essentially a visual record that will be accepted by your insurance company if something should ever happen so you can document all the things you have. And even while you're doing it, I I know when I've done this at my house, it sounds completely dorky. You're walking there and you scan like, you know, 70 inch TV, you know, cow, you know, sectional cow, you know, just anything that you want to definitely draw attention to that you want to, um, you know, subwoofer you know those type of things you know just you, you can give what you kind of remember paying for it and that can at least create a visual record that you could help your insurance company because there might come a time where you you need to show at a day before you know at a date before the incident occurred of what was actually in that room sure. what do you need to replace and you're going to appreciate having that visual record, especially with all the cloud backup systems and everything yeah, else. That's such a genius idea because when I think about going through and having to chronicle all the stuff in my house, I get it makes me it makes me sleepy thinking about it. Right. But just walking through with a video camera that, or a, a cell phone, 
That makes tons of sense. Well, obviously, it's better if you have an inventory list. Sure. But I'm realizing most people not going to right. be that right. detailed in the weeds with it. So it's better if you at least have a visual record to give you a baseline of protection. Also, don't take for granted if you have a unique collection of some sort. Sure. Maybe you have, you know, jewelry, you have a stamp collection, you have artwork, you have, you know, all kind of other structures on the property. Sure. Make sure you know what you have and what's Covered under the basic homeowner's policy and what you might need to go buy an additional protection or rider sure. policy on top of to, to, to keep those things moving forward. When you buy your insurance, here's some, here's some tidbits on the money guy tidbits to help you save some money. Should you buy from a broker or a captive agent? Now, when you say captive agent, what does that mean, Brian? A captive agent, and I'm not picking because you can still get decent products from these guys too. There's nothing wrong. But like your state farm rep is typically a, a captive agent. Maybe they, they sell, sell insurance state for one farm company. products. Um, whereas a broker will have access to a whole product line of from different you know they might have travelers they might have auto owners they'll have different products and that's not to say that you can't go talk to a captive agent and get a great deal because truthfully they, they they probably well, i mean we have some some of our health insurance and other things with captive agents yep, yep. because they they offered some unique products that were very good on the health insurance or dental insurance but i'm just telling you if you think from a quantity standpoint, a broker is going to have access to more product lines. But, you know, if you're, if, when you're doing your search, where to set deductibles? This is a big one. A lot of people are thinking, you know, I, I, it wasn't long ago where everybody just said $1,000 or 2,500 deductibles. And that might be the case, especially here's the thing. Here's a, here's a case for why you won't hire deductibles is, is because what if, you know, you were the type of personality that if your wife clips the side of the garage, you're not going to spend, you're not going to file a claim for the $300 right, fix right, to right, fix right. that. Um, you know, if you're the person, don't buy insurance that you know you're going to self-insure anyway. There's no way in the world because they don't, you don't get re- uh, rewards for the quantity of claims you file on your homeowners right. or automobile. The, you, the, the goal is to keep your claims down as low as possible because they reward you for not using insurance. So if you think you're already going to self-insure, don't have the deductible so low that you're not going to file it anyway. Sure. No, don't have a 250 if you know everything over under $500. You just go self-insure yeah. and pay yeah. for it out of your own pocket. However, don't push it up to $2,500 or $1,000 if the premium difference is only saving you $25 yeah. a year. Because I think that's a big thing. So you need to go pr- price it out with the lower deductible, the higher deductible, and then look at it from a common sense perspective. If you know there's a $500 difference in what you have to come out of pocket, but you're only saving $25 a year, you know, that's going to take 20 years for you, for you to make it up. So yeah. just use that common sense and say, well, maybe the lower deductible makes more sense for me. Then. Yep. Um, so, so look at that. Um, so let's talk flood insurance real quickly because there's been a lot of flooding and other things that are going on. And this actually pertains, it's not just by living by a creek or water we, we have to worry about. We have to worry about thawing, you know, things thawing in the winter with snow. If right, you live right, up right. in the north and you have a lot of snow. If you, if you live down the south, since I just picked on our northern neighbors with the thawing, if you live in the south and your neighbor has an above ground pool right. and that burst and <laughs> floods your, your basement, I mean, it, you might need flood. Your, your typical homeowner's insurance is, by the way, I can make southern jokes because we're in the south. Right, you can sense. tell by the accent, yeah. but and, <laughs> I, I digress. But I digress. It, it, anyway, but here's the thing is that your typical homeowner's policy is not going to protect you from floods. 
And a lot of people are unaware of that. And, and so I would tell you, at a minimum, you ought to assess your risk. I'm not telling you you have to, you need to go buy flood insurance. I don't feel like you can go to that level, but you at least need to go do the due diligence. And there's some great places you can go. You can go to floodtools.com. I, I went to this site. I thought it was really good in the fact that you could go and type in your address. It will show you all the different maps. So you can really truly assess your situation, how close you are to the the historic flood zones and all these other things. And then you can even, here's the cool thing, premiums, the government sets premiums for through the National Flood Insurance Program, and they don't vary by company. So like Progressive does flood insurance. Right. But their premiums are going to be the same as the next insurance sure. company because the government regulates what you can charge for flood insurance. So if you go to Flood Tools or you can go and realize the, the coverage can only go up to 250000 as part of the program, okay. for the national program. 250000 for the structure, 100000 for the contents. And it's if you're in a, a low to moderate zone, I think it's $499 a year gotcha. is, is what it costs. Um, the government has a, a website, but it's actually under reconstruction right now, so you can't use it. But in the past, it's had great information. It's floodsmart.gov. So right now, if you just want to use government resources, you go to fema.gov slash national-flood-insurance-program. So and we'll put some Google links search. out there for yeah, you. Yeah, we'll definitely go to moneyguy.com. We'll get you a link. But um, probably the easiest way in the beginning, just to give you a basic understanding, is floodtools.com is a great resource. Perfect. Not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I think we, we need to cover it because it's in, in a state of flux right now. Health insurance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Health insurance. I mean, we it feels like it is an ongoing debate and discussion, all the different changes that are going on with it. Um, since it's in such a state of flux and change, we're not going to go really deep into that. Um, but I do want to give you one huge planning opportunity. Huge. Because I, I, I think it will be around. And, and we're doing this mm-hmm. personally, and I want to share some of the things we're doing. Health savings accounts. I love health savings accounts because... Do you love them enough that we did an entire show on them? We did. If you Go join the Smart Money Club uh, at moneyguy.com. All we need is your e- email address. And then you can quickly go do a search on health savings accounts. We did an in-depth show on health savings accounts. Go much deeper than what we're going to be able to cover today. But here's why we love health savings accounts. They are triple tax advantaged. You now, heard that right. That's three times. Triple, triple tax, tax advantage. I feel like if I was a wrestler, this is something we'd really spend a lot of time, you know, just, you know, carrying the tennis racket and really yelling about because triple tax advantage sounds awesome. Um, here's the triple. Here's, here's where the three are coming in. The current year tax deduction. That's right. The government gives you a tax deduction for making contributions to your health savings account. In 2017, that is $3,400 for an individual, $6,750 for a family. In 2018, it'll go up again to $3,450 or $6,900 for the families. But Brian, what if I'm a high-income household? Surely I won't get that tax deduction, will I? Nope, still getting it. It's triple tax advantage. So you get the current year tax deduction, and then it grows tax-deferred. So you, you keep this if you don't use the money for actual health insur- health cost, mm-hmm. the money can be invested. You can go buy mutual funds, you can go buy you know investments. So this money can grow, and that that growth is tax deferred. You know while it's growing, but and it's not a, a, a use it or lose it moment. It's not like a flexible spending account where okay. you know at the end of the year if you didn't use all your money, oh no, it's going away. So you're loading up on all the stuff. You know, to make sure you spend that money. Right. No, you can roll this money forward and keep letting it grow tax deferred. So that's the second thing. It's tax deferred. But here's the third thing 
that really makes the triple tax advantage huge. It's tax-free if you use it for medical purposes. So think about this. The government is totally, in a good way, blowing it on this thing. And the fact that they're giving you a tax deduction on the front end, so you never paid income taxes on what you put in the health savings account. And then if you use it for medical purposes, the growth is completely tax-free. That's 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 incredible. Unheard of, even. So so that's why it's triple tax advantage. And here's the planning opportunity for all my money nerds. And this is what I'm doing. Here's what you do. If you have enough liquidity in your life that you don't actually need to reimburse your medical expenses from the health savings account, you make those annual contributions to the health savings account. So if you're a family... You have a high deductible health plan because that is a requirement. You do have to have a high deductible health plan. So that means go have high, you know, very high deductibles. You're not going to get to use the insurance. You're going to have a lot of stuff flowing right. through out of pocket. Um, but you put the $6,750 into your health savings account. And then I don't take reimbursement. Now I keep meticulous records. What I mean by that is I'm matching the explanation of benefits, the EOBs with the medical bills that come in from my insurance, you know, provider, I mean, my medical providers. And then I'm keeping proof of payment as well. When I make those payments, I keep the proof of payment. And then I'm just letting those accounts grow. I've got them invested in a very conservative, but growth focused balance fund, low cost. And it's out there growing, working in the background. That army of dollar bills is going. Meanwhile, I'm documenting and, and recording these medical expenses I'm, my plan is, and I'm just, this is an arbitrary number, but this is what I've decided. Ten years in the future, I'm going to go and get reimbursement for that, you know, the last, you know, the first five years of expenses. Because there's no deadline on when you can go seek reimbursement. Hold on, so, but Brian, at ten years, you're not going to be 59 and a half. Can you get it without having to pay no, taxes? But, but here's the thing. Since I'm reimbursing the medical expenses from five years ago or, you know, six years ago, it's going to be tax-free. It's huge. It's a huge planning opportunity. Now, I know where you're going with that, Bo, because here's the other cool thing about health savings accounts. If you get to over 65 and you don't need your healthy person and you've built up this big health savings account, you can actually use the money from a health savings account for retirement expenses. Now, you're going to pay income taxes on the gains, okay. but you can use it for outside of medical purposes. But what I was talking about was a way that you take the tax deduction and take the tax-free growth is by reimbursing yourself. Essentially, I'm going to have the money growing, house money. Because let's, let's give you an example. I put $6,000 into this account. Let's say 10 years from now, it's worth $15,000. Okay. Well, I have $6,000 worth of expenses. So I go and pull that 6000 out for reimbursement of my medical expenses but the $9,000 of growth from 10 years of working right. is going to stay in the health savings account continuing to work for me. That's incredible. Yeah. Whereas if I pulled that money out as I needed it for reimbursement, that $6,000 wouldn't not have grown growing. into yeah. anything. So that's how, that's how you're taking advantage of it. So I know we're going long. So I'm going to quickly let's transition to long-term care insurance. I, I don't know if we did. Did we do this on purpose? Did you notice we kind of went through stages of life? Like we started at young with life insurance and disability, and now we're moving through, and now we're getting to long-term care. Did we do that on purpose? No. Uh, you know, it's better to be lucky than good. That worked out really well. So long-term care insurance. First of all, a lot of people, you're saying, wait, we talked about disability. What's the difference between disability and long-term care? Disability is when you're in the workforce and you're replacing income. Long-term care is when you need to bring in help to take care of you for, with your daily living. You know, the, the, the actual terminology is the, 
um, activities of daily living. Sure. You know, as we get older, unfortunately, you start requiring more help for bathing, feeding, getting dressed, and those sure. type of things. So that's the difference between disability. Disability is replacing income. Long-term care is getting somebody to come in and help you. So I remember like it was something like one in two young folks can expect to be disabled. Same thing true for long-term care? Well, I mean, I think you can take some of those stats to know how long you need to get protection for, but it's... um. They're different. And, I, and the only stat, the, here's the big stat I have, is that only 8% of Americans have long-term care policies. Now, oh, before wow. we all panic and go, oh, my goodness, why, why is America not covering this? Realize that this is one of those in- insurance industries that is trying to find its, its footing. I mean, it really is because this is changing. It's all a big experiment in some way because you have the baby boomers, this huge generation that's retiring and insurance companies, they are profit motivated, right. but they also, you know, they're having a hard time figuring out how this is going to work. So sure. the policies, and, and what I mean by that is just over the last decade, the average premium has gone from $1,000 to $3,000. So these policies have gotten much more expensive sure. as the com- as the country is aging. The premium premiums are going up significantly. And, um, and I think you're also seeing, I mean, if we looked at this a decade ago, there were hundreds of long-term care providers. Now we're down to just a, a, a less than a dozen insurance companies are doing long-term care policies because I think a lot of insurance have said, man, there's just too much risk here. With the graying of the country, we can't figure out how to make money off this product. So we're just, we're getting out of this. So it is, I will, I give you that disclaimer on the front end is that this is an insurance that is that is got a lot of changes just because of the graying of the population. So I'm a young person, Brian, and I think that technology is going to continue to advance. So, you know, folks in my generation are going to live to be, you know, 120 years old. Should I go ahead and buy long-term care insurance now? Is now a good time for me what to start shopping for What you mentioned is it? definitely a problem. That's probably what these insurance companies are realizing, too, is that this problem is getting extended since we're living longer. Um, and as we as our bodies live longer, but our brains maybe won't live as well, it's all kind of exposure, but your the answer to your question is, according to the American Association for Long-Term Care Insurance, the AALTCI, the best time to buy long-term care insurance is your mid-50s. Okay. That's what, that's what the, a lot of the research shows, and your mid-50s is when you probably want to look at this. Um, any, any reason why you think mid-50s is the right time to start buying? Well, I think it's one of those things you're probably getting to the age where I mean, you're focusing on this. You're thinking sure. about, you know, your mortality, your health. Um, you've also, if you think about all the, your life cycle of earning potential and other things, when you're paying, you know, when you're young, you first start out, and this is a little bit of a sidebar, you start out, you, you come out of college, you don't have to pay for anything but yourself. Right. But then when you're in your late 20s, you start having kids and you have a mortgage. Uh, you know, there's a lot of money being pulled out of your back pocket for life obligations. And then when you're in your 30s and 40s, you're, you're worried about building financial independence. So that money's going there. It's probably about your 50s that you've, you've moved up the financial planning pyramid to the point that you can say, okay, I think I've got these other goals figured out. Where, where do I fall now with covering my, making sure that, you know, I don't deplete all my assets or, you know, the legacy I want to leave to my kids. You know, how do I make sure I don't lose all that money? But if, I, I and if you wait until your 60s or 70s or 80s, it probably gets too expensive to be it able to buy at that point. Because, right? uh, you know, they don't like things that they don't like. You know, that doesn't mean you can't get coverage, but diabetes and other things like that that will have an impact. Um, Alzheimer's is a big risk sure. with these things if they, they're worried about cognitive impairment. And that's why here's the, here's some, the, the, ADLs, which is the activities of daily living, this is typically 
You don't get benefits until you need help with at least two or three of these things. And they're bathing, which is typically the first thing that's going to become impossible to do when you're starting to have issues. Eating, dressing, using the toilet, walking, and then every policy you need to make sure you understand what's the trigger point, what's the language used for cognitive impairment. That's dementia and, you know, Alzheimer's and those type of things. Um, other components you need to understand with long-term care is elimination period. How long can you afford, you know, paying for it out of your cash flow before? So same thing as like disability. Exactly. Three months, so, six you know, months. Six months, you know, inflation protection. Here's the thing. It is going to, you need inflation protection because the cost of long-term care facility treatments has gone up significantly. Sure. But the biggest increase that's going to occur to your premiums is if you choose an inflation um, rider and you can do you know, straight inflation or, you know, versus compounding interest inflation. And I always tell people, if you're trying to trim some money off, a planning opportunity you can do, especially if you're doing this in your 50s, so you're not too young, um, maybe you just need to buy a bigger benefit on the front end with and just put a simple inflation protection on there. Because when you do the compounding, it gets really expensive. So I'm going to say that again. If you think that you need $2,500 today, instead of buying a $2,500 per month benefit with an inflation rider, maybe you buy a $3,500 month benefit with no inflation yeah, rider. Yeah, and, and without, like, we can't give individualized advice, but this, I'm just telling you some planning tactics that have been effective in sure. the past. The other thing, benefit period. This is a big one because a lot of people want insurance to cover them for the rest of their life. Yeah. I mean, you, you won't, you know, what if you get, Alzheimer's and you have to live in a facility for, for a decade. Yeah. I mean, that is a big fear. So a lot of times you want to get something that carries you for your life, but you're going to find out that it's so expensive. I mean, these policies get up to six, seven thousand dollars a year. Yeah. You might have to look at having a, a, a benefit period of only five years. Sure. I mean, and that's the thing. And, and, and here's the other reason why I think that the adoption rate is only at eight percent is they can't raise the, Premium increases can't focus on you, meaning they can't look at Bo Hansen and say, man, we sold that policy too cheap to Bo Hansen. Right. So we're going to, instead of his premium being $1,500 a year, we're next year we're going to charge him four. They can't do that. They can't okay. single you out. But here's the thing. They could look at the entire product line and they go, you know that product that we sold back in 2017? And a lot more people are have Alzheimer's or people are just living too long. It, it, they, they have the ability to raise the premiums on everybody, on everybody that's in that group. They can't single you out, but they can raise it on everybody. Um, so l- last thing I want to close it out on long-term care to give you to know if you need how to price this. Long-term care is one of those insurance products where we call it kind of a donut hole type of protection that you're trying to insure. If you're a person that has that's not wealthy, say you have less than seven figures in all of your assets, you know, there's a chance you could get into a, a, a situation where, you know, while you're in a, a long-term situation where you needed help, your assets might be depleted completely, and then Medicaid is going to kick in. Okay. So, and really, the reason you buy long-term care is to protect your wealth mm-hmm. if you you're trying to leave something behind, or you want to make sure you have protection for taking care of you. Sure. Um, so you don't, if you're a person who's not wealthy. You probably don't want to buy a long-term okay. care because it's so expensive to buy this stuff. Sure. If you're wealthy, meaning you have a net worth probably over three million in assets, 
you very well could self-insure. So you're not going to be a, a great person to go out and buy this because you have enough assets that you'll just shit self-insure the risk sure. that's out there. So that leaves the donut hole, that, that great big middle, which is everybody who's kind of between that one to three million dollars. That's, that's really the people that the long-term care market, and that's a very generalized way of looking at it. Okay. But so it's if at I, least giving you some guidelines. If I find that I fall into that category, I'm, I'm, I'm in between, I'm in that big middle that you called it. What are some things that I should think about in terms of is, does long-term care make sense for me? I mean, do I think about like genetic stuff and family lineage? I mean, what are some things that I look at to determine if it makes sense for me? I mean, I definitely think that stuff plays in it, but you also have to ask yourself, what's your mindset? I have, we've had clients where they're just so fearful of not leaving behind the, the, this, le- this issue where their, their kids are going to have to take care of them mm-hmm. so they want to do long-term care. Or the, it's the other side of it. Maybe you have children that you look at them and you go, there's no way they're going to take care of me, so I better make sure that I insure away sure. some of that risk so I at least know I end up in a good place. Sure where I'm going to be taken care of. So those things, it's not only the medical stuff, it's also your psychological of what makes you happy, what's your desire, because this is not a super efficient market. I will tell you there's a lot of evolution and changes that are going on within the long-term care market, so it's not a slam dunk. And even if you fall in that great big middle of one to three, you know, you have to individualize and look at and see if it makes sense for you. Because there's a lot of people, I mean, we have an insurance broker as a client, he doesn't own long-term care because... He just thinks there's too much change yeah. and he's worried that they would, you know, too many variables to, to make it worthwhile. Sure. Um, so that's all the insurance coverages we want to talk about, you know, kind of give you some, some cleaning. Where are we at with? Just, uh, just at an hour right now. Whew. Man, you guys get a lot, a lot of meat. <laughs> so, um, here's why I want to close this thing out. We've already told you about the, the, the YouTube thousand dollar giveaway. Mm-hmm. So go out there and sign up for that. We've told you, you got to come back and look at us to see what in the crazy, zany way are we going to do on the next Money Guy show. We also, if you graduate, you like, you can just sense from this. I mean, we go, we went pretty deep with this insurance show. And you're like, do these guys really know this type of stuff? Yes, we are this nerdy. This is our passion. This is what we do. And I think this is why we've realized we can just give you all this free advice. There's going to be a number of you out there that are going to realize these these guys really do live, breathe, and love this. I mean, we're going home and reading articles, annoying our wives, even on vacation, yep. about this stuff. And you want to link yourself because maybe you're wired like that financial mutant too, and you want to have bring in somebody who's just like you that will continue to make sure this thing works. And that's why we have clients in 30 plus states mm-hmm. now. So you know, go to go to moneyguy.com. Go to aboundwealth.com. We have contact pages where you can figure out and reach out to us and let us know what's going on in your situation, and we can make contact and, and figure out how this all works. Also, kind of close it out. This whole YouTube thing, you know, we have cam- multiple cameras here. I feel like, and I didn't want to say this on the end, on the beginning because I, I, it annoys people who are here just for the data, right? But I like to give tidbits, and I've realized at the end of shows, I'm going to start giving, sharing more personal stuff that you know, things I realize and pick up on. I have no the, idea where you're going right well, now. You by don't the way. know, but and the people who are fans of the personality side of this will stick around, and that's why I think it's important that, that I share this with you. We're doing this YouTube experiment, and I will tell you, I have realized. My relationship with these cameras is just like my relationship with my wife. <laughs> is that I, I, now I really don't know where you're going so, right now. And Bo has, because uh, we didn't talk about this in show prep, is that 
the first, if you guys, I want to give you an experiment. If you will go what, look at our first episode we did, which was probably two months ago yeah. now, you're going to notice I didn't look at the cameras that much. It was kind of like, oh, you know, because it's like they're, these cameras are like pretty girls. So I, I, I'm just scared to make eye contact. So I looked at you. You were kind of like my wingman that made me feel comfortable with the whole situation. And then I, you know, I looked at a few of the clips and I was like, man, I look like, why wouldn't I make eye contact with the camera? So then I've tried to get better. So you'll, if you watch, go to the YouTube channel. If you're listening to this, you're like, I got to go check it out just to see if it's really this, this evolution has occurred with Brian's behavior. You'll notice that I start looking at the camera more. I'm starting to get more comfortable with looking at the pretty girl camera. And now we're, I still am not good at this. So I want you to know I am trying to make it a very concerted effort to look at these cameras to give you the personal experience. And it's hard. I see why, you know, there's a reason Matt Lauer makes a gazillion <laughs> dollars looking at the cameras because it's weird. It's much more comforting and warm to, to talk to, to you, Bo, but oh, we're, we're making an effort at doing this. Now, I pick on Bo because he starts off day one, you know, looking longly <laughs> in the eyes. And that's probably my analogy on dating is not too far off in the fact that he probably was going in much quicker to, to, to ask for a phone number than old scared Brian was. But um, <laughs> this is the evolution of stuff we're trying to do with the YouTube channel. I think it's fun that you guys get to see the visuals as, as well as get the audio of what we're trying to create. Because we are trying to, to really go beyond common sense, help you make smart financial decisions. And I love it. I actually... Podcast days, I come to work, hip, you know, basically skipping to work, whistling, <laughs> um, have a hard time sleeping because it's just fun for us. It really is. Thank you for going on this journey. Moneyguy.com. You guys are the best with the, the iTunes reviews going out there on YouTube, just coming part of the smart money club. Couldn't have done it. We wouldn't have been able to grow this firm, have all this without you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Brian Preston. Talk to you in a very soon. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. Music